Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, just wanted to thank all of our listeners out there for supporting us. Um, and if you've been supporting us on Patreon, extra special thank you for doing that. Uh, we really appreciate the support we've been getting. And uh, we're still trying to work up to that goal of $500 per per podcast um and once we reach that goal we will be doing four episodes per month um and a lot of people you know complain that one of you know they love our podcast but we don't do them often enough so this is sort of our move to do that so if you would like to see more of these coming out uh please consider donating every little bit helps you can donate as much as or as low as a dollar um so yeah i just want to throw that out there at the beginning instead of at the end of the podcast like we like we've been doing um so abby um uh what do you think of all the just from your perspective (laughs) of being a former employee at rt who left rt pretty much before this really ramped up into a crazy clusterfuck of a slow motion propaganda campaign what's your thoughts on what's happening now i mean you can even just briefly touch on all the. I mean, we already talked about this, but yeah, like just what is your just emotional reaction to what's happening now? Like, is it surprising so, to you? Yeah. So two years after I left RT, people may remember that I, as well as one other show, were listed. My show, Breaking the Set, as well as the show called Truth Seeker, were listed in the DNI report, that long-awaited with bated breath report that was supposed to incontrovertibly prove that Russia hacked the election, right? Um, so, so since then, I, it's been kind of surreal. So yeah, after the DNI report, you know, anything's kind of game in this new Cold War setting that we're living in. So, so nothing really surprises me anymore. But it is shocking to see still, I mean, the corporate media, despite polls showing that Americans are, are largely turned off by the Russia phobia and Cold War narrative, um, they still keep hammering it down our throats. And they think that talking about activism, talking about People who are in solidarity with indigenous struggles like Standing Rock, um, Black Lives Matter, Black activists who were organizing and training and involved in that struggle across the country. Those people, according to the corporate media and this new narrative, are just useful idiots, um, unwitting Russian agents. Um, and what is their proof? I mean, I don't know, some trolls that maybe have their locator in Russia? Like, this is this is what I don't understand. When it comes down to the actual details, Robbie, and I want you to actually explain these reports, I don't see anything past maybe one or two people who have a location service in Russia, like yeah. a bot or a troll. And, and even if that correct. were true, even if that were true, I don't care. That, that's actually fine for me that someone in Russia is on Twitter standing in solidarity with Standing Rock. Like that, I don't mind that. Um, I have no idea how that leaps to Putin is ordering like dissent and sowing discord within social movements here. Can you explain that logical leap? It's so, it's it's really, really disturbing, Abby, because as you and I have been talking about for a while, we kind of figured out that this whole Russia hysteria propaganda campaign, it was culminating in sort of this eventuality of sort of soft censoring the internet. First, you know, one of the big pushes was this idea of fake news, and people forget that it wasn't Trump who came up with that term, the mainstream media did out like right after the election 
uh, to try to act as if fake news is what cost Hillary the election. And that somehow, because of quote-unquote fake news, really what they mean by that is like conspiracy news, um, like right-wing news media that was anti-Hillary Clinton, or as we even saw with that prop or not Washington Post um, article, even left uh, subversive left-wing media is quote-unquote fake news. Um, and that organization, prop or not, ma- didn't make a distinction really um, between um, who was sort of directly taking orders from the Kremlin and who wasn't because they came up with this term that's now being used a lot by people, useful idiots. So if you somehow express an opinion that has been expressed on Russia Today or you know, in some other form by the Russian government in some way, I mean, like, for instance, let's just take Standing Rock, um, then somehow if you promote Standing Rock a lot, because the Russian media has also been promoting it, that means you're a useful idiot for the Russian government. You and I have been worried that it's not just to censor or curtail internet freedoms for everybody. And, and to, I mean, even though it probably is in some regard, that it seems like the main goal, um, just like it's been of intelligence agencies in this country for a very long time, the main goal is to quash and, and marginalize actual left activism, like leftist activism, um, which includes Black Lives Matter, uh, Standing Rock, um, fracking, you know, anti-fracking, um, being, uh, you know, pro-third parties. See, those are, t- the, and Occupy Wall Street, those three things that I just said, those last three things, is what they mentioned in the DNI report as to how Russia was trying to interfere with our democratic process. All, all they really did in that report was try to show that Russia today was putting out like, opinion, like political opinion and news content that challenged sort of the official or like established narratives of the mainstream media. That's all they show in the report. And according to that office, that that is enough to be considered Russian interference. And I believe there was actually two competing narratives going on around that time. I think the Team Hillary people, some of the more extreme Team Hillary people, were trying to run with the very hyperbolic, the most hyperbolic variation of the narrative, which is that Russia hacked into our election and elected Trump, that Trump is a Manchurian candidate. But there was also this other more quote-unquote realistic narrative that the intelligence community People like Mike Morell, for example, who was a big-time Hillary supporter, where they differed. They sort of split, and those people sort of started going in the direction of just saying Russian interference, Russian meddling. But at the same time, he and Bill Kristol and Michael Chertoff and Jake Sullivan, um, a big uh, uh, Hillary staffer when she was in the State Department, have started a new think tank. Oh, Michael McFall also, um, ambassador to Russia. Uh, they started a new think tank that's all about Russian interference in sort of online signal boosting um, cha- narratives that challenge the official doctrine or the mainstream media. And that in- and this think tank, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, all they do, if you go to their website, it's all about cataloging and databasing like internet analytics trying to show that all these trending hashtags so, for example, this last free speech, quote-unquote, free speech protest in Berkeley where a bunch of Antifa showed up, um, this uh, think tank was trying to say that that hashtag about that protest got boosted online to the number one hashtag 
because of Russian bots. And they have all these analytics on their webpage trying to prove that these were Russian bots that boosted these. Um, and it still doesn't show anything on their website trying to show, even if, even if you believe that argument that Russian bots are boosting these hashtags... Isn't that insulting, though, to like the agency of humans that we that even people are believing this and being like, yeah, Russian bots force people to do this. Well, of course, but but I think that that's okay. What you just described is what they want the general public. That's how they want it to soak into the general public. But I think that they themselves know that they they know that that's obviously not true. But by putting stuff out like that, that's their goal is to make people think Mm -hmm. that left activism is some kind of non-organic phenomenon that's been boosted by the Russian government. You know, we were calling it McCarthyism more than a year ago based on this type of hysteria we saw, the sort of Russia phobia, the you know, the Russian behind every corner under every bed, meddling behind every server, there's a Russian troll hiding, you know, hiding everywhere <laughs> ready to like fuck with you online. That was already out there, but this is more in line with traditional McCarthyism, how it was used during the actual Cold War, where it's now targeting left activists and and basically saying that they're Russian agents. Right. Even though they're not literally saying that, that's the implication, that these people are somehow useful idiots and have gotten sucked into a rabbit hole that was like designed by the Russian government to try to create racial divide in this country. Every time I criticize the Democrats and Republicans now for the first time, and this never happened before, and we've been doing this for the last 10 years, I'm called a Russian bot uh, by dozens of people, some guy who was like some prominent Democratic leader in L.A., um, who said that he was supporting grassroots democracy, but he's a member of the Democratic Party. He said, you know, he, first he said that I was working for Putin, and then when I was just like, you're a really paranoid dude, he was like, is it just me, or does every reply to this thread sound like a Russian bot? And I was just like... It is just you. <laughs> it's just you, dude. I well, mean, this is we're seeing it work. That's the problem. And and it's and it really does take on. It's a it's almost like a combination of the Hillary campaign's tactics and like the US traditional US government tactics, mm-hmm. like intelligence agency COINTELPRO. Um and by when I say Hillary's campaign tactics, I mean in the same way that she tried to say like any critic of hers was like a misogynist Bernie bro. Right. But then now to say that like anyone who disagrees with Hillary, you know, is is a Russian bot. Anyone who supports Trump is a Russian bot. Or anyone who just criticizes Democrats. Yeah. It's very, very interesting the way that that's already, I mean, it's already worked in the sense that there's a lot of regular people repeating that and using that as a deflection method. There's a few stories that have all come out and they've all come out through CNN, which is not a surprise. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can say whatever you want about, you know, Trump you know, trying to call CNN fake news constantly and how that's dumb. But on one hand, you do have a news network that is regularly putting out sophisticated government propaganda um, that other news channels don't seem to be able to do to the level that CNN does, at least right now. Like, I don't even think Fox News has the same amount of resources that CNN seems to be working with. The amount of government sources they have. I mean, this is the weird thing. As much as they CNN acts like they hate Trump, in all of these articles I'm about to describe, go through, they all use like government sources, anonymous government sources. Who are they talking to? I mean, right. it's someone in the Trump administration, presumably. So that's a very bizarre dynamic where you have the network seemingly completely anti-Trump, 
but still plugged into the system that puts out the propaganda that the government wants people to believe. Like, that's a very bizarre dynamic. Okay, so there were two main reports. One of them was saying that one of the most prominent Black Lives Matter Facebook accounts, Facebook groups, was basically a Kremlin front. Now, they don't say that specifically in the article, that this is a Kremlin front, but they do a lot of really clever sort of you know, leaps in logic where it is basically conspiratorial dot connecting relying on anonymous government sources. The whole thing revolves around this, this company called the Internet Research Agency, which these CNN articles are trying to say is a Kremlin front, um, even though I think it's just a server that runs out of Russia. So that's already a leap to say that. But it says, but it's basically trying to say that all these government sources and like all these officials know that it's a, been a Kremlin front for a long time. Just based on that, that this is where th that web page was being hosted from or that Facebook page was being managed from, that's what the entire thing is based on. And I'm going to jump around a little bit because these are four articles that are kind of all interlinked. One of them is about how Russian trolls or the Kremlin government, they, don't, they, they, they conflate the two, which they often do in these articles, um, try to boost a Black Lives Matter Facebook account to create racial divide in the country. Another CNN article claims that someone from the Russian government, even though they don't show any proof of it whatsoever, um, tried to pay for self-defense classes for some Black Lives Matter activist guy, like figurehead. Then the third story that came out um, was saying that uh, Pokemon Go was being used by the Russian government to inflame racial tensions. And then in these articles... Basically, Facebook is giving is also one of the sources for CNN and these other news agencies, t basically handing this data over to these news agencies, saying we uh, we identified these as Russian like government potential Russian government accounts, um, which is very interesting to see this all you know sort of taking place because it was almost a year ago now when um, Google, Facebook, Snopes. And I think the Washington Post said they're all going to join together to try to combat fake news. Um, so this is just one of the ways it's expressing itself. Even if all of that were true, in a vacuum, without knowing the proportionality of like how many Black Lives Matter accounts were there on Facebook, how many followers did they have compared to this one, um, how much traffic was going to this one, it really means nothing. And to say that like the Russian government was behind this implies that it implies some kind of level of sophistication, yet the actual results were what? One Facebook page, like one like a like a Black Lives Matter activist was getting offered to pay um for his self-defense classes. Like what did that actually amount to? It doesn't it really doesn't even make sense. It's all this really disturbing form of scaremongering. And I think it's just yeah, and delegitimization actually... of these movements, which is really offensive. You're completely Absolutely. instead of standing with these marginalized communities, you mock them. You pretend that they've been co-opted by Russia. I mean, what a disgrace! I agree. When I first when I first heard about that story, I was listening to it. I was getting ready in the bathroom, doing my makeup, and I heard the story being aired real time on CNN about the about the Black Lives Matter activists being paid. I thought the entire time I was thinking to myself, "Wow, this is a great story." I thought it was talking about the government infiltrating them, like going back to COINTELPRO. I was like, "Wow!" Like, and then when it and then when it got to the end and it talked about how they found out. 
and how there really was no definitive facts that it was Russia. It was just like some guy that they never met who was calling this person and like they never found out who it was. Like, And I just wanted to mention really quick, it's designed to marginalize those activist movements. But I think even more insidiously, this is my speculation, but I really believe that it's designed also to get inside the heads of actual mm-hmm. leftist mm-hmm. activists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to get them to feel compelled to be like, at the very at the at the minimum to be like yeah i don't like russia today but like they want to they want to do that but they all but i think at most they want to get actual paranoia to sort of spring up in these activist movements so that people not only are worried about like government infiltration but now they're worried about like are you a russian plant i'm hearing a lot of people already sort of arguing within a a weak framework about this who are in some of these activist movements who are in the black lives matter movements who are in some of these activist communities where you know i sort of hear the framing of like well all countries do this you know this is the pot calling the kettle black like that's sort of the main framing and i feel like that's a very damaging framing it's already showing that that campaign that we're talking about is is it working that's actually not true all countries don't do not do things to the sophistication and level that the United States does. So to say that like Russia, the United States, oh yeah, they both do this, some kind of like spy game. Um, you know, there's just like typical, you know, countries, you know, f- they've been doing this since the Cold War. I don't think that that's an accurate framing at all. And I think it's actually minimizing what the sophistication of this c- propaganda campaign that we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Like, r- I don't think Russia has things like this. Like, what is the effect of this, even if it is the Russian government? I mean, really, what is it? It's literally just paranoia. Like you said, there is no real effect on the ground other than maybe preventing people from participating or wanting to be involved in activism. I mean, that is the desired outcome of the U.S. establishment pushing this narrative. In terms of the Russian government being able to do this, there is no there's no logical explanation. Just having someone with a locator enabled showing that they're in Russia does not mean that the Russian government is directing these trolls. And even if they were, why would they be stupid enough to show that they were in Russia? Like no no part of the narrative makes sense. It really doesn't. Literally none of it. You're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. And even if like, if these are quote unquote Russian trolls at this point in them, in these sort of mainstream media cycles about this, this Russia hysteria, Russian trolls, Russian server, Russian hacker are now completely interchangeable with like the Kremlin itself or Putin. Yeah. So yeah. they don't even yeah. show any actual link anymore. It's just all assumption or like some conspiratorial dot connecting. Yeah, it's weird. If they were Chinese bots, do you think that the automatic presumption would be that the Chinese government was engineering some sort of like troll farm narrative no of course not you would immediately just think oh who's outsourced some sort of farm or bot farm to china you would never just automatically be like the chinese government's doing this it's yeah i mean it's it's very strange i mean it's just like assuming snowden was um you know was like a russian spy which was a narrative that was actually odd people tried to put out back when it first happened and it didn't stick but it is a similar thing it's like now we are past the threshold where if that happened now Everyone would just assume he's a Russian spy. That's how bad things have gotten since then. So it's really a really dangerous time we're living in. And uh, places like the Alliance for Securing Democracy 
are really causing a shitload of damage right now. And I did not, I really didn't think Bill Crystal was going to be able to rebrand himself this well. I Done, mean, he's dude. in a better position Done. than he's been in years. Robbie, David Frum and Bill Crystal, they're the new voices of reason. And just today, Jack from Twitter and the Twitter like moments page or like the official Twitter at Twitter account announced um, that it will donate all $1.9 million of money they got from Russian media to, quote, support external research into the use of Twitter in elections, including use of malicious automation and misinformation. Um, so, and this was after they announced, they're not just donating this $1.9 million that Russian media gave them to advertise, they're also blocking any future efforts for any Russian media to advertise on Twitter. They're explicitly banning... They're not outright taking down the RT and Sputnik accounts, but they're saying that they can no longer promote posts, which, you know, may not seem, you know, maybe to some people that may not seem like an extreme move, but it really, really is. It's, it's a horrible precedent. Well, especially when you compare it to like how the fact that Richard Spencer, David Duke, like these people can still have promoted ads. Exactly. Um, so why is that? I mean that that's very strange. Or the IDF? I mean the IDF right. was um I remember <laughs> during the 5-day war in Gaza they were posting infographics that were just a complete Hasbro propaganda showing how like all Palestinians like may, are like human shields. They like use their children as human shields. Yep. Like constantly nonstop. Just constant cartoon fest um of Netanyahu cartoons showing like missiles under homes being like sorry we have to kill these children. Jack's bottom line is that he wants to make money. It shouldn't be surprising, but like that's why he won't he won't really take a hard line against um, the accounts that we know are really doing like harassment campaigns and stuff and or, actual death and rape threats. I mean that you can prove. Yeah, or if you want to get a little more conspiratorial, I mean it could go along the lines of why is the mainstream media boosting all these alt right neo Nazi figures so much and. You know, part of my worry is as to why they're doing it is that there's some kind of machinery or, you know, destination with not just this Russia hysteria stuff to censor the internet, but also like using the craziest hate speech as an excuse to censor the internet. Also, it almost seems to be culminating together. Like both. Well, yeah. I'm, and, and, and I'm, I'm very torn on this issue because I do think, you know, I'm not like a complete free speech absolutist, but I do think that using like hate speech laws or like if if this if what i'm saying has any merit to it whatsoever if like richard spencer's constantly being boosted just so they can crack down and like make new laws or you know new internet policies to ban people like that um it's going to have ripple effects for leftist activists eventually also that's that's part of the problem i mean even the bds shit it's already considered like elite. Like if you're in uh, Houston or I don't, I think maybe you posted this, but there was an article that showed a document where it's like, if you sign for Red Cross aid or government aid in certain parts of um, Texas Dickinson, during the flood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you are a BDS activist, if you boycott Israel, you are denied aid. Like that's nuts. So if, and, and there are already tons of people, the same liberals who want to like create laws to ban Richard Spencer from like going, you know, out there doing a march are the same people who want to ban BDS activism oftentimes. The constant signal boosting of not just him, but Mike Cernovich and all these complete dumbasses in the alt right who have zero ideology and they're just nihilistic, um, 
you know, fuck boys from 4chan and 8chan, what I think is most likely behind it, and then when you when you compare it to like the demonization and marginalization of actual leftists or um, ridicule of people like me and you for what we believe, I think that what it comes down to is that leftists are a threat and right-wingers are not to the establishment and the power the powers that be. And it's very simple. I mean, the right-wing, and that's why when you look at actions like right-wing movements can show up fully armed whether it be Bundy Ranch whether it be Charlottesville um, they can show up fully armed and be completely codified and protected by the state because at the end of the day what are they challenging you see movements being crushed with the utmost force whether it be Standing Rock um, um, or or Occupy or Black Lives Matter where you have the arrest of over 100 people in St. Louis who've been camping out for the last month um, from these racist cops who just keep getting off scot-free. Um, they yeah. don't want to see where that can go. So that's why I just think that the, the corporate media just plays into that. You're absolutely right that left-wing activists po- pose like a greater threat to like the overall power structure, like corporations, um, a lot of aspects of the U.S. government, I mean, and a lot of different things. But I mean, <clears throat> after looking at the like what the Alliance for Securing Democracy is trying to say, like the narrative they're trying to put out. They're also trying to, they're equally trying to say that like the alt-right is also being like, like a signal boosted by Russia and that it is also part of like the same Russia, like divide and conquer signal boosting. And I think, I mean, I think even just in terms of just the Republican party, like that power structure, I don't think that they they, I mean, they might be, they might just be like not fighting the alt-right right now, but I think that they're genuinely threatened by them and they don't want them to gain more power in the Republican party. But unlike the Democratic party, I feel like the Republicans are smart enough not to like try to smear all the alt-right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like in the same yeah, way no, Hillary. They're definitely folding them into their base because they know that Trump is the only Absolutely. tool that they have to push this agenda down yeah so they so of course they're they're they are not they might be scared of them because at the end of the day they want to maintain power and they don't want just a million more trumps to take over all their offices but yeah i mean they're smart enough like paul ryan you think paul ryan fucking respects trump <laughs> yeah paul ryan is just like damn he's like i have to kiss this dude's ass to get all of my shit passed. Like, and that's all they, they do at the end of the day, they just kiss his ass. I mean, you saw him walk into that room and everyone just stops what they're doing and just applauds him. I mean, this is what they know they need to do. They just need to, to applaud Trump, give him that propaganda folder twice a day, and they can just uh, destroy the entire planet and, and he'll, he'll be on Twitter. I mean, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to let Trump off the hook. I mean, I think that he actually has a, a ton of agency. As we said before, I think the worst of the neocon rhetoric is coming from his mouth. He is Bannon. Bannon is him. They share the exact same mentality and ideology. So I'm not letting him off the hook. I just think that he is severely incompetent when it comes to. I think he's relinquished a lot of his power to the craziest outliers who are surrounding him, and the mm-hmm. generals and and the Paul Ryanites. I guess the main things in the news right now is that like everyone's making a huge deal about these JFK files that he's going to allow to be released and even tweeted about them. And um, it was funny. I heard Roger Stone on the radio today, like on a morning show, like already downplaying what's going to be in them. Cause I mean, even though he acted like it was like this really, you know, there could be really revealing shit in there like a year ago. 
and acting like and he and he seemed to think tr- Trump was already going to release them. Like he was talking about this like a year ago. Now he doesn't think there's going to be anything in them. <laughs> um, so I just thought that was interesting. It's like even he's downplaying them. So I mean, I'm you know I I just don't see how if the CIA or the U.S. government any aspect of it had anything to do with JFK's assassination that they would allow the release of any files that show that. It just doesn't make sense. Even the Operation Northwoods documents, which are very damning and shows you the scope of, of what the CIA was willing to go to, what lengths they were willing to go to stage provocations in order to justify invasions, right? We're talking about the the Bay of Pigs slash the Cuba false flag document. Um, it wasn't even the CIA. I think under it MacArthur, was the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was Joint the Chiefs of Staff who proposed it to General MacArthur, um, and he said... Kennedy basically declined to do it. So it was very close uh, from being carried out. But here's the thing, going back to the JFK thing, even those documents weren't a, like a false flag attack that had happened and then the documents came out. You know what I'm saying? It was like a, a proposition yeah. that was declassified. So when we're going back to what will the JFK documents say, nothing. You think that these people like write up the shit in documents to be unsealed? I mean, absolutely not. The, the Operation North of the thing was like a, a, probably a fluke because it never happened. It, remi- it reminds me of the uh, Jim Garrison quote from the movie JFK where he's like, we got to start thinking like the CIA thinks, like black is white, up is down. And I think people, they get too mindfucked basically looking into these narratives that they start, th- their mind expands to such an extent where it's like anything becomes possible. Let's move on to just this um, really quick comment about identity politics. I do have problems with identity politics. I think that, that, again, this is a liberal method to co-opt radical language and, and push it like Hillary down our throats. But the thing is, how dare you say that identity politics is bad when you are an identitarian? These people are white identitarians. This is why Trump won. Trump won on a platform of identity politics. Absolutely. Point, point blank. Like, he won on white victimization. Um, it is a very, very sad time when we have flipped the narrative to now white people are the victim. And honestly, I think that that above all is why Trump is in office. Yes, there's a huge nod to the conspiracy culture. I think, that, again, the JFK thing. Look, these documents have been set to release after 50 years. So Trump is is just hyping them up again to make it seem like he's doing something special. Um, but, I, but I mean, I really do think that's why he won, Robbie, is because he wanted white men who felt like they were missing out um to feel like they were that he was going to look out for them again yeah and i mean websites like drudge report have been you know doing this for forever i mean this Mm -hmm. is a it's a classic playbook this white victimization shit i mean it's you know to make to make white people afraid to go to like you know any inner city uh like scenario um you know it's like it's like, yeah, you know, there are bad areas in any metro, like large city um, that, that, you know, if you, unless you're used to that city, you might not want to go to like late at night, but that doesn't, it, but it's like, that's not what a lot of these like white identitarian, like Trump people think they will not like come to Oakland, mm-hmm. you know, because they think like there, there's a shitload of people in California who I encounter on a daily basis, um, you know, most of, most of them like older people who think Oakland is like a total like t- like terror city. It's like you can't go anywhere <laughs> no without go being mugged zones, by a black bro. person. No go zone. I mean, that's literally what people think. So, 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, the poll actually makes a lot of sense because most areas of the country are, you know, they're, I mean, so I, but it is really disturbing to just really see how many people really believe that. Um, and I think it's just going to get worse because the polarization in this country is going to get worse. And it's almost seems like it's, it's going to get worse along with like sort of the superficial identity politics on the ne- side of neoliberalism getting worse, you yeah. know, where it's like where Hillary's critics, you know, um, will, or like Kamala Harris critics will just, you know, say that everybody criticizing her is like a racist misogynist, you know, that's, it's, it's like those kinds of things also, which I feel like will also inflame this sort of right wing white identitarianism because that is blatantly superficial. And it's like, and it is one of the most like superficial ways that, you know, those issues are sort of presented to the public. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's really sad that, yeah, that, like, like Diane Feinstein, for example, is going to be 85 years old. Um, and she is running again her f- her fourth or fifth term, I think her fifth, maybe even her sixth um, next year for Senate uh, in California. This is a person who is a complete shill for neoconservatives, um, voted for the Trump war budget. I mean, there's endless amount of things that she has supported that are absolutely horrible. She is not a radical at all. She's a fake liberal in, in wolf's clothing. And I, and you know, I, I said, I was like, we should support a real progressive here. Let's oust this woman. I was like, she's 85. Um, it's time for fresh blood. And everyone's like, ageist, anti-feminist, ageist, misogynist. What the fuck? People actually t- and I was like, tweeted like, that to you? Yeah. And I was just like, hold up. <laughs> Call me an ageist. Are you fucking kidding me? She's 85? Who else is 85 serving? Let's let's line them up. Like I, I would like to know. First of all, of course, there should be term limits. No one should be a, a senator when they're eighty-five years old. I'm sorry. Like I'm already forgetful, and I'm thirty-three. I I just can't fathom that. Like when when is it okay to to say that someone might be too old and we might need fresh blood before you're you're called an ageist? And then of course it became about how I'm anti-woman. That that's the problem. I mean, it's like as as long as that kind of stuff continues and, and oh, continues God. to rise. I feel like this, you know, this white victimhood bullshit is mm-hmm. going to be on the rise too. It's almost like an equal and opposite reaction. It is. And I'm not blaming dumb ass like neoliberals who like abuse the concept of like, you know, ident- like racial identity and like, like actual like oppressed classes of people for their own agenda. I'm not blaming them, but it's like definitely not helping and it's making people dumber. And it really is like I see a lot of like younger people who, especially after Trump, I mean, I, I have to say this, um, were never politically engaged before. And all of a sudden they just jumped on this bandwagon that, you know, everyone who's right wing is a fascist, um, you know, everyone like we need to support Black Lives Matter now, you know, after Trump gets in. But they never talked about it before. Um, and, you know, a lot of these people are white sort of hipsters who live in the Bay Area. And it's kind of just like, well, where the fuck were you guys, man? And it's just like, and all they, they it's like they, they are, they really do sort of focus in on the identity politics stuff. And, um, you know, which is fine. I mean, if that's which part of politics you want to go into, but it's like, it does show a superficiality where it's like, it, it I think it worries me that that's sort of where people jump into uh, to get politically engaged these days 
um, you know, primarily, and they're not looking at things like Flint or Standing Rock or, you know, all these, uh, you know, marginalized, oppressed groups in this country and just like the, the fucked up state of our country as a whole. I mean, yeah, like you said something like why John Yu, the torture architect for the Bush administration, sowing the seeds for fascism. It's inarguable that the Bush administration has sown the fucking seeds um, for Obama, then Trump and this neo-fascism dystopian hellhole that we're living in. But you made the point that he was teaching on Berkeley's campus for, what, eight years? And there was zero altercation with Antifa or anything like that. So it seems like it is superficial to a point. Like, where were these people confronting the real war criminals who who fostered this environment, who allowed and cultivated someone like Trump to rise to power? Um, well, it, just, it's almost, yeah. I, I was just going to jump ahead really quick to, and this is not totally out of left field because I think it relates to what you just said, is the anthrax attacks anniversary is this month. Um it's the 16th anniversary of the 2001 anthrax attacks um, this month. Five people died. Um, three of the people who died were people of color. Um, Thomas Morris Jr., Joseph Kersin Jr., two black uh, Brentwood postal workers were murdered by weaponized anthrax manufactured by the U.S. government in October 2001. Um, this last Monday... Uh, today's Thursday. We were recording this, recording this, but the m- previous Monday was the anniversary of their deaths. Um, next week, this coming Tuesday, will be the anniversary of the death of Kathy Nguyen. Um, she was a Vietnamese immigrant who died from inhaling weaponized anthrax manufactured by the U.S. government on October thirty first, two thousand one. So the the reason I'm bringing up their their ethnicity is because um, Judicial Watch made a made a great point. You know, as as crappy as that organization has become over the years it's a little too right-leaning for my taste in 2001 larry Kleinman went on c-span and made made the point he was trying to do a class action lawsuit on behalf of postal workers many of them were black alleging that the bush administration thought that people of color were expendable in order to sell the iraq war so that they can kill more people of color actually a million iraqis in iraq they were willing to kill postal workers and, and let these people die, they were expendable, so they could launch a war that, to kill a million Iraqis. Um, and yet Condoleezza Rice and John Yu, two primary figures who were possibly involved in the anthrax attacks, we can't really say for sure, but we definitely know they were involved in murdering one million Iraqis, they were perfectly fine in the Bay Area for years. Condi Rice at Stanford, John Yu at UC Berkeley, Antifa never gave a fuck. But the Bush administration was on uh, Cipro, so they knew that the anthrax attacks were coming. <laughs> so let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, right? That they didn't actually engineer the anthrax attacks or, or knew who did. They at least knew that it was coming. They so, knew that it was coming, and it's, <clears throat> this wasn't about like money or resources. It wasn't like, oh, we can't get enough Cipro to people, so let's not nah. warn them. No, nah, no. Nah. They spent... Almost $100 million, apparently, fumigating out the post office in which these two men worked. So, they, I mean, whoever sent out this anthrax, they wanted people to die. Um, that's, that's what I would argue. And many people did. Five people died. Um, a few dozen were actually infected and sent to the hospital. Uh, so, I mean, it is really, it's, it upsets me. And, it, and especially now when you see like neoliberal like identity politics, people praising George W. Bush. Oh, man, I can't handle this rehabilitation of yeah. Bush. 
the guy from Silicon Valley, um, I forget his name. He's the Pakistani comedian on Silicon Valley. He was praising George W. Bush, and I was just like, man, that's fucking nuts. George W. Bush killed a million Iraqis, dude. And tortured like, what people. What the fuck is wrong Open with you, man? Gitmo. Open the a goddamn fuck up, gulag. Dude. It pisses me off so much. Oh, like, dude, I, I can't. I, 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 yeah, sorry. And I and I even said like both he and Trump detest minorities, and people were like, no, Bush didn't detest minorities. They're like you're right, he only killed a million Iraqis. So oh, yeah. I guess how you'd about, have to be ambivalent, I guess. Or how about the retarded spin where people are like, Trump was really disrespectful to Khan, but uh, George W. Bush was really respectful to Cindy Sheehan. It's like uh, what? <laughs> what? Why didn't they get a quote from Cindy, dude, for that oh, article? She would have gone God. off. On that motherfucker. Oh that murderer. Oh my god. 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 She thinks George W. Bush murdered basically <sighs> murdered her son. So I don't know where the fuck you're getting that from, you dumbass. Like this is and this is a narrative now that people say to like the, the, uh, act like George W. Bush is better than Trump. At least Chris Hayes, who yeah. I don't like, had the decency to say, well, Trump hasn't, you know, it, it done something like the Iraq war yet, which is far worse than anything uh the, the, you know, George Bush launched Iraq war. That's far worse than anything Trump has done yet. You it know, just shows a- you the normalization and conditioning of killing people abroad, killing brown people by the millions with our foreign policy that no one could give a fuck about, Robbie. It's all about just how does it affect me? People are really exposed here. People are really exposed. And this is why we have such a problem with hyper-partisanship. It doesn't matter who's in power. We care about what our, what the empire is doing. Because we're internationalists, we're not nationalists. So it really is very sad um, when you are that much of a hypocrite that that you think Trump has somehow done more damage than George W. Bush. That is extremely sad. Um, <laughs> but but do you like uh, speaking of just Nazis and 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 shit? How funny is it? The Wolfenstein 3D, the video game that we played all the time alongside Doom when we were kids, and it was always about killing Nazis. And suddenly now, I forget what video game company is coming out with the new Wolfenstein and, the, and their promos are extremely offensive to the alt-right, where the alt-right went from the Gamergate narrative where they were saying, oh, that's a, absurd to say that video game culture influences real life. Like, how dare you? You guys are fucking dumb. Um, it's about vi- ethics and gaming journalism. It's not about harassment of women. We're just really logical people who just want ethics and gaming journalism. All of a sudden, it turned into Wolfenstein 3D is going to cultivate actual hatred of Nazis in real life. And it's unfair and discriminatory and will actually cause people to start killing Nazis and encouraging them to punch them. It's like, whoa, this this just got flipped. What happened to us just enjoying killing Nazis in the game like we did 20 years ago? Yeah, it's pretty funny to see that happen. And they even made a, I think, I, I don't know if, it, they didn't definitely didn't play it on TV, but I saw like a short ad on Twitter that the company put out of a, like a video from the game of like the main character punching a Nazi. So they were That's like. So funny. So Yeah, they were like, uh, they probably wanted to, like were trying to test the waters to see if they could rile that movement up. And they totally like, they just took the bait and fucking exploded over it. Yeah. And two really quick stories. Um, since we last talked about the Charlottesville thing, uh, I think the next week or two, a car drove into another group of protesters but didn't kill anyone. Fast forward till this week where three Richard Spencer supporters who were also at Charlottesville shot into a crowd of protesters and, and yelled Heil Hitler and all got arrested on attempted murder. 
And then it just came out yesterday that a Richard Spencer, not Richard Spencer, a Milo Yiannopoulos intern, um, also a YouTuber Gamergate guy, just killed his dad because his dad called him a Nazi. Stabbed his his dad to death. Stabbed his dad to death. And it's an extremely disturbing article. You can read. It's almost surreal because it's like the mom is on the phone with 911 just kind of like almost just being like, yeah, he just gets really riled up. And you can like hear them like yelling in the background, but the mom is just like obviously had ne- didn't know that it would go that far. So um, these people are very unstable, you know, and this guy just killed his own father um, for all based on some argument about whether people like children should have sexual consent. Um, extremely disturbing. Oh, stuff so it wasn't even, wait, I, I, the thing I read from the article said it's because he was called him a Nazi, but it, was it actually an argument over Pizzagate? Yes, he was saying pedophiles control everything. The mom said, we're trying, but he's chasing us around the house. He's mad about something on the internet about leftist pedophiles and thinks we're leftists and keeps calling us pedophiles. And she laughed kind of casually. She's like, he just lives on the internet. He gets really worked up. Oh my God. He needs an intervention. And then, and then she hung up. And then she said later, she said that the fight had started over, quote, whether toddlers could consent to sex. What the fuck? fuck dude i i have to say this again but some of these right wingers like these really hardcore like neo-nazi leaning right wingers they are really sexually repressed in really fucked up ways like i wouldn't be surprised if some of them were actually just like closeted pedophiles it's only leftists dude those are the democratic pedophile rings or who really needs to be exposed yeah, that's so weird. Like, I almost wonder if the Catholic Church <laughs> is putting out some of this prop, is like feet seeding the internet with some of this stuff so that people forget that they were like the most, the biggest like pedophile, like um, cult in history that yeah. like molested like a, who knows how many fucking kids and then covered it up. I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird how obsessed some of these right wingers are with child molestation. It seems like some, it's all some of them think about. It's very, very weird. Anyways. And before we move on to all the sexual assault stuff, I just wanted to really briefly mention the that horrifying attack in Somalia, one of the deadliest bombings in Somali history where more than 300 people were killed, tons of children. It was just horrifying, right? And everyone came out and immediately condemned Al-Shabaab, um, the terrorist group who's been carrying out bombings for a long time. Um, and it came out from The Guardian a couple of days after that was investigators believe the attack may have been in part motivated by a desire for revenge for a botched U.S.-led operation in August. It all traced back to this village who, again, this botched U.S. raid that killed three children. Um, And local tribal elders were calling for revenge at the time. And this guy who bombed um, the capital of Mogadishu was from this community. So they are now thinking, oh, wait, um, could it be that it is revenge for this U.S. botched raid? So I haven't followed up, um, but I think that you know people were replying saying, "Oh, that that's totally outrageous! How could you kill innocents if innocents are killed?" And I was just like, "What do you think the war on terror is? This is the entire premise of U.S. foreign policy. Except we don't just kill people who kill us; we just kill people for no reason based on some like fake moral high ground." Um, so. You know, you can't really rationalize when someone does something like this, but you, it, it kind of, the chips fall into place when you look at where the U.S. is involved. You know, that, that Niger operation where these four service members died. Of course, you're not going to see a Benghazi flip out 
over that. Um, that barely made a mention, right? Even senators were like, wait, we have troops in Niger? Why are there a thousand troops there? So whenever you hear things like this going on, like people are probably like, why the fuck were we raiding Somali villages in August and killing kids? Um, this is what the U.S. is doing around the world. Every time there's something like this that happens, most likely it stems back from some sort of U.S. interventionism. And it's not just this attack. It's not just this raid. It goes back to al-Shabaab as a group in general. Back in 2006, under the Bush administration, we encouraged, not only encouraged Ethiopia and backed them financially to invade Somalia, we, we almost forced them to. Um, the Bush administration is essentially responsible for the Ethiopian invasion of Somalia. And at the time, Somalia was had chased out a bunch of warlords. Um, and I won't go too much into this because it's a long story. But essentially, this kind of peaceful Islamic group had chased out warlords in Somalia and were managing the country. And because it was, again, not in line with um, U.S. imperialism, we wanted to get those fucking people out. So an offshoot of that Islamic group became al-Shabaab. So it ended up being a resistance force against the Ethiopian invasion, all engineered by the U.S. empire. People have no idea what we're doing around the world. And going back to the Niger thing, I, mean, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but that was another just example, prime example of how there's the military industrial complex operating even without the knowledge of any of our elected representatives. <laughs> And, um, and then, yeah, I mean, then there's the whole distraction about the Gold Star family and like what, you know, Trump's language and if he apologized or not. It's like, well, why isn't the main issue? Why the fuck are we in Niger? And then you look at Afghanistan, there's, there's all of these drone operations that have killed dozens and dozens of people over the last month. And then you, and all we hear is, oh, the Taliban's carrying out all these other operations. No, it's all in retaliation to these U.S. drone Bombings. This is what's going on. The Taliban is stronger than ever. Last year had the highest number of civilian casualties since the war began. I don't even want to call it a war. It's not a war. It's just an unrelenting occupation. No, and for and how resource funny is control. It that it's like people remember the seventies and the sixties as being like, oh, the U.S. government did so much corrupt shit. You know, Vietnam was like so fucking like devastating. We use Agent Orange and like we invaded like Laos, secretly invaded like Laos and Cambodia as part of the Vietnam War and like. You know, lied about it. I mean, now we just invade or send troops into like any country we want, and nobody bats an eyelash. It's just like expect. Like that's how fucked up shit is now. It's like it's almost like you just expect any American troops to be anywhere. You know? Yeah. Like I mean, after like American troops were like training, you know, Ukrainian troops and shit, like against like Russian proxy forces in Ukraine, it's like all bets are off at this point. Like you could see, imagine American troops really popping up anywhere. They're going to pop up in Ukraine and like train the army there. I mean, it's really. Well, I mean, we insane. already sent them the weapon. Yeah, the new defense budget had the, all that money for Ukrainian uh, support. So yeah, way more money than uh, Obama was willing to send. Um, so that's really interesting. That you know, Trump is actually you know we talked about that last time, but Trump is actually um, escalating things with Russia right now, um, and I guess I also wanted to mention really quickly. We forgot to mention this when we were talking about Hillary again, as we do. Um, but apparently, Robert during the Robert Mueller investigation, they were trying to figure out who wrote the Chris Steele dossier, the one that was like, had the thing, the information about the piss tape that Trump supposedly yeah. was filmed in and stuff. Um, and he refused to tell them who hired him to like make that dossier. 
he wouldn't give up his sources or his like funders or backers or whatever. And apparently, the Mueller Russiagate investigation um, has uh, like discovered that it was actually Hillary's campaign that paid for the dossier in the first place. That shouldn't come as really a surprise to anyone. It's like they try to float it in the media, like acting like it was some kind of like serious intelligence investigation kind of a thing or something. Even though, like, originally it was like, well, this could be opposition research. We don't know. But this is really serious. Like, look at all these allegations. I mean, it turns out it was Hillary's campaign all along. What a goddamn joke. This is just like the Pied Piper strategy the, the, with the Podesta emails showing that, or not the Podesta emails, it was the DNC leak that showed that this was a strategy from the campaign to elevate Trump because they thought it was such an easy win for them. Everything bounces off Trump because he is a super brand. His brand is a misogynist, uh, disgusting piece of shit. Um, you know, so it's like you thought that that was going to work. The dossier fake story was going to be the thing that took him down. Well, it's fascinating because apparently the dossier itself, you know, one of the main meaty parts of it wasn't even the piss tape. It was this like Gazprom or like oil, like supposed secret oil deal that Trump was going to get a bunch of money somehow from the Kremlin um, where it was like all this money was like anonymously transferred from like this denationalized Russian oil company or something. Um, and that was like one of the more meaty parts of the whole document. I remember people thinking, oh my God, this might be what takes Trump down. But apparently now Robert Mueller is looking into like John Podesta's brother's dealings with like some of the same Russian oligarchs that like Trump was accused of dealing with who are close to Putin. So I don't know, you know, maybe Hillary, maybe it backfired on Hillary again. Like it would be very bizarre if John Podesta became like part of the target of the investigation or the Podesta group in general. But it seems like, I mean, and this isn't just from right wing media. When I first saw it, I thought it was, but no, it's actually real. Robert Mueller is now investigating Tony Podesta. I'm really confused. Yeah, me too. Um, but it makes me think that Hillary is really overstepping and that maybe, you know, Robert Mueller, maybe they think that the Hillary campaign was deceptive and that, that, that by not explaining to them that this was opposition research all along, that Jesus they hired Christ. this guy to make this dossier. Who knows? I can't, you know, it's, it's too early to tell. Um, Did you know Richard Spencer's wife is also used to work for Alexander Dugan? No. Who's like one of the main like influential like Russian like right wing, like fascist. Oh yeah, guys. yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember during the campaign, someone was like, "But look at who his wife is! Like she's Russian." And it was like, "What the fuck?" I mean, that in and of itself is probably like someone could build like a conspiracy just off of that I'm because I'm, they have. Well, I mean, they but like, have. but going specifically after the crosstalk people because those people are all like secret Duganists. And they always have on these like weird, like um, anti-Semitic, like very actual anti-Semitic guests. Like they bring on like Israel did 9-11 truthers like all the time, like stealth, like and don't, don't overtly say who they are. Like Ken O'Keefe is like always on there mm -hmm. and shit. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think there might be something to that, but I don't think it's like a, you know, actually like a huge deal. Just bizarre. Um, Unbelievable. Well, I guess the um, one of the worst things um, that's happening right now that's not really in the news as much as it was a few weeks ago is the potentiality of a U.S. military preemptive strike on North Korea. Um, and the word on the street, it seems like, you know, while the mainstream media has sort of died down, fear-mongering about North Korea, 
the word among the DC think tank community and the foreign policy hacks in DC, um, sort of more whispers, is that Mattis is now the only one who's opposed to a preemptive strike on North Korea. That even Tillerson, who was actually like sparring with Trump on Twitter about, you know, diplomacy with North Korea, is now has now flipped, and uh, and is actually. Apparently, McMaster and John Kelly, these two people are supposed to be like the sane, you know, more sane DC foreign policy class. They're now for a preemptive strike on North Korea. Um, and it's, you know, what's scary is that there are actually people like who are very knowledgeable in these think tanks, even though they're horrible people who, you know, help make wars. Now they're even saying things like, I'm war- I like we're worried now that like war with North Korea seems inevitable. Like this is like the most serious it's ever been. Uh, the president of the CFR, Richard Haas, tweeted last week: "NSA McMaster ruled out deterrence and rejected an achievable go- goal for diplomacy. Odds of conflict with North Korea far higher than is generally understood." Um, another uh, reporter in D.C. named Van Jackson. Um, he said, an administration source tells me, quote, everyone wants preemptive war now except for Mattis. Normal Korea experts have no idea how serious this is. Um, very, very scary signals. And then also, I think her name is Sarah Ken- Kensdor, um, said that there are actual secret plans being developed by many think tanks in D.C. right now behind the th- scenes for post-war plans in North Korea. Um all this is very, very scary, um, very horrifying to think about this actually happening. But just because the mainstream media isn't fear-mongering us about it right now doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. So just want people to be aware of that. It it's seems like it's very serious. Um, and these B-52 or I don't know if they're B-52 plane, actual planes, but those nuke bombers were like put on alert a couple days ago and it, it became a news story and then the military denied it. They acted like it was fake news, but you know, other people have told Tim Chirac he was trying to figure out if it was real or fake. Um, said that no, I, you know, this is totally real. Like people who got had sources on the inside, so the government was trying to to deny that they're possibly putting out like nuclear bombers like around North Korea right now. We don't really know. The Trump administration is sort of a new level, new era of secrecy. You know, the phony transparency that Obama sort of created is now being peeled back by Trump. It's things are even more secretive now. So I don't know. What do you think, Evie? I, yeah, it's a complete disgrace. Um, I, I'm shocked that not more people are standing up to the bellicose genocidal rhetoric coming out of the administration. Um, Trump, I, I, it's funny. I mean, I just never thought that this would happen. Um, that we actually could be on the precipice of nuclear confrontation with North Korea. Um, and we do have an administration dumb enough to actually do this for ego preservation and also just, again, surrounded by these warmongering generals who he appointed that that would are clamoring for a war with North Korea. John Bolton, um, these people are psychotic. If If the Trump administration wants to do this, they're going to do it. Um, I don't know who can hold them back. And I think that it's really getting to a point of no return here. I mean, you know, the media is not trying to stop war with North Korea. I mean, the media is just egging it on. I see every day pundits being like, well, I do really appreciate his his tone with North Korea. It's like, really? So you appreciate starting a nuclear war that will kill millions of Koreans? I mean, it is 
unbelievable um, the normalization of war and the outsourcing of just any sort of consequences. Like, I just cannot believe that this is happening, that the U.S. empire feels like it is a rational position to preemptively bomb North Korea for simply having nuclear weapons, which is their fucking right. And I would almost be willing to bet that a lot of the the D.C. foreign policy culture, they kind of put North Korea on the back burner. Like, it isn't a priority for them. You know, I'm sure some of them, you know, I'm sure certain people were already looking at like their rare earths or minerals or things like that, or, you know, what would happen if the country, if the regime fell. But I don't think it was the, I, I think it was maybe the minority of the DC foreign policy class that actually even took that into consideration. I think, you know, they were probably thinking, well, of course, Iran's going to be targeted net, you know, before North Korea. I don't think anyone predicted. I, I mean, I think very few people maybe did predict that this was going to be like the next real hot situation that could you know, go up in flames really quickly. I mean, it is very strange. We, you and I are now talking about possible war because, you know, if it's just a preemptive strike, even if we used a preemptive nuke, um, it's still going to turn into a war. Right. North Korea has a s- pretty sev- uh, serious army. I mean, it it just, it's not going to be... Like, I, I just don't know what people are thinking. Um, it's, yeah, really, really scary. I don't want to think about it too much. I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, th- this rhetoric should be shamed at every turn. The fact that it's being taken seriously and encouraged is is mind-blowing and extremely dangerous, beyond dangerous. There's no word for this. There really isn't. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Like we said before, I do not see these faux anti um, interventionists speaking up about North Korea, oh, speaking up about Venezuela. Yeah. They're anti-war? No, yeah. They're- like, where are these people? Even these liberals who are, it's either the resistance or the anti-interventionist no, fake, fake right-wingers. It's like none of them care about no. dead Koreans. They no. don't care. They trust the Trump administration, or, or I guess they just trust the idea that, well, he is threatening us. He does have a nuke, so got to do something like it's see i really do think even most liberals probably feel that way which is just really crazy that they, they hate trump so much they think he's a russian plant but that like they barely question his his ramp up to war in north korea that's a very strange disconnect happening yeah they said we we trust you with unending war unlimited defense budget here it is We'll support every appointee. We'll support every war decision. But we're just going to come out and shake our head on TV and call you crazy. Every day, I, I wake up hoping um, that Trump has not started a war with a tweet, um, that, that we won't go into war with Korea. I mean, it's not just Korea. It's so many other fronts. Um, but I'm just hoping every day that, that we can hold down, hold back from, from killing more civilians. And, you know, just, just reading how 1,800 civilians were killed in Raqqa, this whole liberation of Raqqa, um, yeah, it comes with a huge cost. It's called destroying the entire fucking city and killing everyone in it. I'm not apologizing for ISIS. I'm just saying this dehumanization of wherever ISIS is, um, you don't understand the consequences when we're bombing these areas. So yeah, it's just it's I mean it's just a classic tactic. I don't care how evil ISIS was. Even if they like had like a I mean, I don't want to get like too vulgar, but they had like a 
Like if they were raping children every day on video, like in the town square, it still doesn't mean that you, that it's like, and then like beheading them after they had raped them. It doesn't, there's no, it still doesn't justify carpet bombing or like throwing bombs from the sky to try to do something about it. It doesn't, it doesn't make the, it's just so weird how we've gone to the level where even leftists now are like, yeah, these fucking head choppers, like ISIS animals. It's like, whoa, dude, you sound just like Rush Limbaugh from 2003 talking about Muslims and like Afghanis and Iraqis. Like what's going on here? That's dehumanization is very dangerous. And I don't think yeah. it should ever, it should never justify any type of military action. So yeah, and especially when you look at how Mike Pence is a Christianized ISIS. He has the same ideology as ISIS. He is the handmaiden's tail personified into just a power authoritarian. And it's just that they have suits and ties and they believe the same things. He wants to hang gay people. Trump even said it to a, a, a room oh full God, of reporters. Ridiculous. He even said it to a room full of reporters. He was like, haha, Trump, or he said, Pence wants to hang them all. So he is joking about the vice president of the United States wanting to hang gay people. That's the country we live in. This is who these fucking people are. But we'll bomb entire swaths of the Middle East based on that same propaganda talking point to liberals here. That you aren't liberal if you support if you don't want to kill ISIS in mass because they kill gay people, yet the vice president wants to kill gay people. I the logic is very uh, slippery. <laughs> And, and I just want to throw this out there um, for anybody who likes doing, doing digging, who's maybe a little more conspiracy-minded, who listens to our show, um, look up Mike Pence and Anthrax. You'll find some very bizarre, interesting things about him that kind of you know, makes me think, at least, that he was almost like a neocon plant when he first started in the Senate. And he was doing favors for the Bush administration as a freshman senator um, in a very bizarre way. He was allowing himself to be used as a conduit for propaganda um, that helped the Iraq war that even the Bush administration had abandoned to save face. Like a year before he was, you know, going out to the media saying stuff about anthrax in Iraq. So very interesting. Even did a press conference where he goes to the hospital, shows his family getting Cipro treatments and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, there's probably, I mean, there's probably more to Mike Pence than meets the eye. But I see him more as like a puppet, like a Marco Rubio style guy, which also makes him extremely dangerous as well. I mean, you know, being like a Christian evangelical, you know, will rile up all those people, uh, you know, but then also like he could use as a conduit for like the neocon machine even more than Trump. So, but I mean, it's a bad, we're in a bad situation right now. I mean, it's, it's not like if Mike Pence got in, it would be, I don't know if I could say it would be that much worse. I mean, Maybe it would be, but it's bad right now. <laughs> At least Mike Pence. I mean, I just don't see how he could have that like cult of personality behind him. So who knows? Um, it doesn't look like Trump's going anywhere. So No, and just, just as an example of just, uh, I'll, I'll say this is the final word before we sign off on this episode, is that as much as Trump has tried to present himself and just he, like he threw out this conspiracy bait of JFK files to be released, as long as he likes to present himself as this guy fighting the deep state, um, it's pretty funny because it just was announced, this is breaking news, that the, re the release of the JFK assassination file is delayed as the deadline looms. And apparently Trump just didn't bother preparing for this release at all. And they're like scrambling. They haven't even gotten the file to his desk yet. He hasn't even seen it. 
So that really goes to show how important this kind of stuff is to him, meaning it's not important at all, and he's just throwing it out there as red meat to his conspiracy base, probably because Roger Stone taught him well. Um, so that's all that really means to me. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say one really quick thing about Roger Stone. Julian Assange was just on Democracy Now!, and it was interesting because he was talking about Catalonia, and then, and then um, Amy Goodman kind of like tricked him and started turning it all about Russia. And a, a little bit, a, a little bit of it was unfair, but at the same time, Julian Assange was like answering so weird. Did you see this interview? No, Just one last but- little point. As, as she brought up Roger Stone to him and she was like, Roger Stone knew he predicted when you were going to release like the Podesta emails and said, he like, he, basically it seems like they're like collaborated on something where he knew that Julian Assange was going to like release Podesta's emails or something. Anyway, the reason that it's weird is because Julian Assange responded saying like, I can't believe you guys take Roger Stone seriously. He's just like trolling everyone. And Amy Goodman was like, well, it's not, it's not so much that he's just like trolling everyone. She's like, he has the president's ear. Like he's friends with the president of the United States. What a terrible way that I, I could have deflected or not deflected. I could have answered that question better just from reading the work of like Adam Carter, who did that stuff on Goosefer 2.0 and like broke yeah. down all that shit. Like that's an easy to answer. Julian Assange, you know, he's such a weirdo now nowadays that he like didn't it's like he's been leaking like previews to his leaks to media figures and like insider people for, you know, years and years. There were media organizations who had parts of his leaks before they were released to the public almost every single time. So I don't see why it's a big deal really at all if like somehow um Roger Stone got advanced foreknowledge of it. And and Roger Stone's story, at least to me, it seemed it seemed like it checks out. Like, and also he's right. Roger Stone is right that Julian Assange more or less announced that he was going to be releasing something big that had to do with Hillary Clinton's emails, and he like gave like a time window. So, I mean that whole that whole thing about him predicting, you know, exactly like John Podesta was going to be in the barrel and stuff. I think that that's. I mean, I don't really see any fire there. But yeah, I mean, Julian Assange is. He's not, I don't think he's a good face for WikiLeaks anymore at all. I mean, he's, and I don't think he has been for at least a couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, Barrett Brown said it best. He said, I was in solitary for two years and I did not channel Gateway Pundit. So, yeah. I don't think that that is an excuse anymore for someone to be confined in an embassy to channel Breitbart. Absolutely not. No, I mean, I'm I sorry. mean and not just channeling Gateway Pundit, he literally retweeted it dozens, I mean, like, I don't know, dozens of times, but multiple <laughs> times during the election, like Julian Assange. It's like, whoa, man, like, really sinking your brand there. We're um, really in an extremely bizarre time, Robbie. We are. And to wrap it up, we're going to do a whole follow-up episode all about the sexual assault, rape, culture, um, shit that's going on with Weinstein and everyone else. We have tons of stuff to say, so stay tuned for that. Donate to us on Patreon and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And let us know what you think in the SoundCloud timeline, as always, and on social media. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Thanks, motherfucker. Bye. Thank you, guys. Peace.